I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Billboard Charty Podcast, Gary Trouss, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. Right, lots to get to this week. We're going to talk Lil Nas X on the Billboard Hot 100. We're going to go all the way back 20 years to 1999. Going to uh, really get in deep uh, with a couple of guests this week. So Andrew Unterberger from uh, Billboard's edit staff is going to join us uh, to talk pop music and uh, really everything for 1999. But uh, we, we feel like we've been talking about this for, uh, I guess, at least the last couple of weeks. But uh, I, so I saw Mariah Carey at Radio City uh, Music Hall a couple of weeks ago. Trevor, you finally saw her uh, in Philly last week, right? Uh, okay, yeah. Well, it it finally happened. Um, didn't get didn't get too mauled by too many people, but it was a a, a nice evening out. And uh, joining us, our executive editor, first time on the podcast, Russ Scarano. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So you okay? So you both were at the New York show. Yeah, the right. one, we were at the yeah. same show, Russ. We yeah. didn't actually realize it until later. No, until much later. Um, it was my third time seeing Mariah, though. I feel like the first two times uh, have asterisks next to them because they were for her Christmas shows. Um, I've been to the the Christmas show twice before, where she does some of her um, non holiday music, but it's mostly holiday songs. So it was it was the first time I had the opportunity to catch her touring for an album which is very different than those Christmas shows. I was actually upset that she didn't do at least All I Want for Christmas is You. I know it's, uh, sorry, at the end of March, but I, my favorite Mariah song, I would have taken it. I, I didn't get my favorite Mariah song either. I, I wanted to break down very badly. Uh, but, you know, not everybody can like go there emotionally. I understand that. I guess my favorite thing about this tour in general was that she, I don't know, didn't seem like she had much to prove with this album and, I'm, and tour. And I mean that in a way that's like, Obviously, Mariah Carey, you know, is, is a veteran, been there for so long, and it felt like this was a tour that she just really got to perform a lot of stuff that she hadn't gotten to in a while in a ways that she wanted to. She didn't. It wasn't something she necessarily had to go out and, you know, prove she still had it for the critics or any sort of chip on her shoulder with that kind of thing. Like, I thought, I mean, obviously, the Justice for Glitter was something that she probably didn't see coming that really got, was like, opened up the set list for her. Because, I mean, I can't imagine she's performed those those songs from Glitter on tour ever and just for her to have that moment whereas you know probably some songs that she really you know really liked and really believed in and and to have a moment for that like things like that i thought that made this one kind of stand out for her 
Yeah, I was going to say, and Russ, you can you can back me up or, or not. I, I felt like the energy in Radio City uh, got to its highest point during the whole Justice for Glitter part because it kind of felt like uh, that was, uh, yeah, us against the world. We, we knew these songs were good and it just kind of felt like uh, we were right all along. And it just – it was great to hear these songs because, yeah, she, she doesn't usually do them and just kind of uh, – just seemed to take the emotion to, to a different level. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think – and you're right. It's because there is this sense of like the audience was involved in it. Like all of a sudden the spotlight was on on everyone who helped participate in in championing that album and defending that album. Um, just in general, like the energy level though I found to be really high, especially compared to the holiday shows where uh, you know, when I saw her, she was like so tightly constricted by her outfits that she wouldn't move without the assistance of like no less than like five or six men. I yeah. heard about this. That's crazy. Yeah. But she was so mobile, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> she during, can during walk. The radio city shows. Now, she was like, she was moving around the stage it just with so much freedom that it was, uh, you know, that was like inspiring in its own way. Only part that was weird for me, <laughs> maybe seeing like, like the like the shirtless dancer, like I mean, there were there was a lot of that, and that that's fine. I don't know, just something about like just the fact that I guess maybe because Mariah doesn't dance, like threw me off in terms of just like that is Mariah Carey just like standing between these like two super buff black like twenty year old guys like who are like doing all these flips and tricks around her. Like it could have just been a, a green screen. I, I mean, in a way, it was, it almost just felt like I don't know if like my mom would like it was just like. Like, like, what's like, what's happening with this dynamic? That was the only part that really, maybe that was just trying to be, I don't know, hip or too cool or whatever. That was the one thing that kind of threw me off over the course of the show. Talented guys. Uh, other than uh, than the justice for glitter part, I I think what hit me uh, as a highlight was vocally overall. I just thought her vocals were really, really strong, and uh, I guess just not knowing where she was at this point, I haven't seen her at this point in in about ten years. I that really impressed me, maybe most of all. Yeah. I agree. She was she was just present in every way. She was present physically. Her voice was present, um, and she was just like she seemed to be genuinely enjoying herself. And she probably has a challenge that almost or very few other artists have because of the range she's hit over the years and, and put these songs uh, on record. No, I mean, in fact, when you read her press from around then, like uh, there was a New York Times profile of her right before or right as emotions was coming out and she's talking about how she doesn't want to tour because the songs are so strenuous so even then it's kind of like she's assuming like i'm not going to have a typical career in that sense like i understand that the work i'm doing is more intense than maybe the average like pop star and so i'm going to treat my my voice and my abilities accordingly it's it's fascinating to read some of these old like profiles with her um i don't know about you guys i actually was kind of surprised at how short the set kind of was. I mean, it's only about an hour and a half, I think, which I expected it to just be longer by the time I think We Belong Together was the next to last song. It it felt like, what, like, because I, I heard beforehand that was going to be the next to last song. So I kind of was like, whoa, this is, it's already timed for, for all of this. And maybe that's just part of having such a big catalog where it feels like there's a lot more hits that could have been played. Um, maybe that's also a thing with, you know, you don't want to overextend yourself vocally. So for her to sort of reduce it to managing a show she can deliver consistently every night. But I kind of actually really felt myself like wishing there had been about three or four more numbers that I, I really could have enjoyed. That's not a bad problem to have. I think most shows go on for too long. So I, I kind of enjoy a show that maybe leaves me like wanting to go like walk out on the street and listen to one or two more on my headphones and like have that moment. You know, I think that that can be kind of nice. That's a perfect segue for the probably at uh, least hour left of the Charpy podcast. We don't know how to leave people wanting more. 
<laughs> no, I'm sure they, I'm sure they get their fill by the time yeah. this is uh, all said and done. All right, Ross, we'll have to have you back. You're planning to go for another a holiday show in December? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, they're always a blast, and it's a good way to usher in that season. So, right. invite me back. All right, from Mariah to this week's top ten on the Billboard Hot 100. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. One. Number 10 I just poured something in my cup I've been wanting something I can feel Promise I am never letting up Money in your phone will make you real Number 9 I want to raise your spirits I want to see you smile Know that means I'll have to leave Number eight. I'm a sucker for you. Said I wouldn't have go anywhere blindly. I'm a sucker for you. Yeah. Any road you take, you know that you'll find me. I'm a sucker for all the subliminal things. No one knows about you. About you. About you. About you. And you're making my typical me. Break my typical rules. It's true. I'm a sucker for you. Number seven. I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type, make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type. I'm the bad guy. Duh. Number six. Please me, baby. Turn around and just tease me, baby. You got what I want and what I need, baby. Let me hear you say, please. Let me hear you say. Number five. So you can take advantage of me. Tell me how's it feel sitting up there. Feeling so high, but too far away to hold me. You know I'm the one who put you up there. Deep in the sky, does it ever get lonely? Thinking you could live without me. Thinking you could live without me. Number four. It's a moment when I show up, God, I'm saying wow. Honey, bands in my pocket, it's on me. Your grandma more probably know me Get more bottles, these bottles are lonely It's a moment when I show up, God, I'm saying wow Number three I got it, I want it Okay, uh, if you haven't read about this by now, wow, what? where have you been? Uh, we all know it. We love it. Do we even need to say what that is? Sure, because for consistency's sake, that was the only song in the world at this point. Old Town Road by Lil Nas X is, look at that, without even, without even 
needing all that help from the remix, number one this week on the Billboard Hot 100. I'm sure my new homepage, which is twitter.com slash Lil Nas X, has been all over that this week. I, trust me, yes, I, I, I've been there a lot. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, before we dive into what just got uh, birthday boy Lil Nas X, today we're recording April 9th. It's actually his birthday, That's so right. look at that. Uh, we're going to bring in one of our favorite guests we have on the podcast, Billboard senior editor Andrew Unterberger is uh, back again. Let's give him a round of applause as he joins us. Yay! Oh, thank you, Trevor. You're t- too kind, truly. Well, what did Lil Nas X turn? He turned 20 or turned 21? Uh, I believe he turned 20. He turned 20. 20. Yeah, he was born in 1999. Good tie in 1999. Yeah, yes. Celebrating 1999 week uh, every week, Lil Nas X. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen the song, it's, I mean, what are you doing? Uh, number one this week on streaming songs because everybody cannot get enough of it. We're talking 46.6 million streams for the week. Uh, third best selling song of the week as well. Pulling out a, and this is actually decently impressive these days. 22,000 downloads. For those who are wondering, uh, yes, the the monster will only get bigger because as many of you know, as you should know by now, once again, I'm, I'm t- if you don't know this song, what are you doing with your life? There's the remix with Billy Ray Cyrus that came out uh, last Friday. And because it came out last Friday, actually, for the sales and streaming purposes, that is not reflected in the number one this week. So this is all pre Billy Ray Cyrus, essentially. Um, if you've been paying attention to anything on YouTube or iTunes or Twitter.com, so that's Lil Nas X, you will know that the remix is blowing up even bigger than the original. So if you are a betting person, I would call your bookie and uh, suggest Lil Nas X will probably be hanging around number one very much so next week. Betting on a horse? Yeah. <laughs> it took me a second, Gary. Thank you. Isn't he? I'm two stepper. So two step, two step horse. Uh, uh, <laughs> I guess that kind of is a nice sort of, you know, uh, way to bring in the elephant in this conversation. Uh, so uh, airplay two is building. Uh, number twenty three on rhythmic songs. Number thirty on pop songs. And yes, a new a number 53 on country airplay. And uh, <gasps> if you've been following this whole story, uh, yeah, it's uh, Billboard's sort of been a part of this story. Uh, so uh, the song yeah. sort of. Uh, so to recap, the song spent a week on our Hot Country Songs chart uh, in March at number 19, the first week it came out, uh, first week it charted. And uh, yeah, as we've said, in a lot of different stories, there's a lot of different stories posted now on Billboard.com. Uh, it charted uh, before we really had a chance to vet it more thoroughly. Uh, than we normally would. It was uh, tagged as a country song in iTunes, so it came through that way. And uh, yeah, there's been a lot of discussion of uh, should it have been on, should it have come off? And uh, what we've pretty much uh, been saying is uh, we always want to have the most informed uh, opinion of where a song should be on a chart. And and Hot Country Songs is a chart where we actually have to make the designation of what fits uh, genre-wise. So uh, with a lot of talk uh, with people in the industry, and just further discussions and uh, and seeing iTunes uh, later flag it as hip hop. Uh, yeah, we made an informed decision. We'd rather uh, maybe in some ways take some heat, but make a decision we believe in. And uh, yeah, that's where we've uh, where we've uh, stood on that. Uh, we don't know. Uh, it's not it's not uh, necessarily an irreversible decision, especially with the remix uh, coming out with Billy Ray Cyrus. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where it stands uh, on all those angles. I'll say. 
I think it's a great discussion, honestly, to be having. I, I, it's 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 a fun song, and anything that that challenges genre boundaries, that's that's what moves music forward. And, and the really interesting thing, I think, is that you I mean you saw this at the ACM Awards. Uh, you know, we, we had a we had a reporter there who was kind of pulling uh, the audiences outside. Not by by pulling audiences, I mean like interviewing some of the the biggest stars in country music on the red carpet. And it seemed like a pretty uh, pretty split decision on whether or not the song should be counted as country. You had, you had people like uh, Florida Georgia Line and uh, I feel like one or, one or two other kind of prominent country artists saying, "Yeah, sure." I think uh, Low Cash maybe saying, "Yeah, sure." Like uh, it's got you know it's got country elements. Uh, it's got the spirit of country. What is you know what is country anyway? It's a constantly shifting format. Uh, you know, we, there's room for it. There's there's, there's room for kind of you know left to center ideas in country music and. To, for expanding definitions and things like that, and yeah, sure, we 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 love the song, but br- bring it on. And you had other artists saying, like, hey, you know, this isn't country music. You know, we we we're, we're not casting aspersions on the song. We're not casting aspersions on the artist. But you know, country music is a specific set of you know kind of signifiers and sonic standards, and uh, this song doesn't really fit it. And look, there's plenty of other like really great country artists out there who are trying to get exposure in this landscape that aren't that aren't getting what they deserve. So what's this guy who has kind of one country-leaning song and is otherwise, you know, more of a traditional hip-hop artist? Why, why is he complaining about not getting uh, recognized as country? And, you know, I see both sides of it. I, I, I don't think it's a, it's a cut-and-dry decision. I think there's a lot of play here, and I think that... Uh, you know, I, I was in favor of kind of talking about it as a country song because I think it's an, it's inter- I think it is interesting to keep expanding definitions and and, and to, to keep having that conversation. But there, I mean, uh, you know, especially before the Billy Ray Cyrus remix, they're right that uh, this, this isn't a traditional country song in a lot of ways. I think that if you, if you asked a lot of people, if you, you pulled a room of a hundred people and you played in the song, and you asked them, is it a country song or is it a hip hop song? And I think most of them would say hip hop song. Maybe you know, seventy five, eighty percent of them would probably say hip hop song at least. And one person in that room would believe in Lady Gaga. <laughs> that is true. But then again, I mean, this is the, the the kind of hard decisions that the having the charts in this in this way force force Billboard to make, which is that you you know you you have to kind of say it's one or the other. Even though I don't think anybody would say no, it's zero percent a country song, or no, it's one hundred percent a hip hop song, or vice versa. Uh, you, you you do I mean unless you want to start having songs on both charts and I don't I don't know what, what kind of rules we, we allow for that you guys would know better than I would on yeah that. no you can you can be on multiple charts All right, so, so I mean that's that's part of the discussion too I'm sure but again you know you you do have to kind of hard and fast say is this enough of a country song to be on the country charts or not uh, and that's that's a decision yeah that, that it's it's not. It's not a black or white decision. Uh, it's not a well. So I suppose I'm not poor a, choice. Poor of choice words there, uh, uh, but it, it's not a cut and dry decision. So let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, so and, and yeah, I mean, there, there obviously are elements of race at play here. Uh, there are elements of demographic and genre at play here, uh, in terms of you know, is is it uncomfortable to be excluding someone for being a rap artist from the country charts? You know, does that open you to all sorts of other sort of sort of discussions to be had. Uh, but, you know, as you say, it's an evolving discussion, uh, and I'm, I'm glad that we're not necessarily being dogmatic about it one way or the other, and that uh, we, this is a discussion we can continue having as, as, as elements of the song change, as the Billy Ray Cyrus uh, remix becomes more prominent, as more country stations start to play the song, as, as I sort of predicted they would, because now the song is just so massive that everyone kind of wants a piece of it. Yeah, so the, the song is on uh, 
Columbia Records proper, but now Sony uh, Music Nashville is starting to look into whether they should promote it. Again, same kind of thing, trying to take the temperature. I mean, you can't, can't hurt, I suppose. You're not going to ruin his credibility. Right. Uh, Trevor, I've had conversations with you about this, and, and you didn't seem to think it was a country song at first. Does the Billy Ray Cyrus remix change the equation for you significantly? Um, it, 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 it can, and, and I guess part of that in a weird way is like is is the structure of the song because mm-hmm. most of the song is is a you know it's still intact as the little Nas X, but it's funny that you mentioned that because it's it's the fact in a weird way that Billy Ray Cyrus starts that song off because I feel like you know I'm, I'm sure there's probably some study out there I'm gonna hope there's a study out there that'll that'll say that you know probably in the first ten to fifteen seconds of hearing a song you probably have a pre you're probably predisposed to classifying it in some in some sort of way from those first notes you hear from the first vocal you hear so the fact that Billy Ray Cyrus like sort of waltzes on first. Maybe it's strategic. Maybe it just happened to be that way. But then, then when I was hearing it, for, when I was hearing that for the first time, I thought, like, if I had just heard this song come on, I would have assumed for sure it was a country song, just because that's without even knowing it's exactly it's Billy Ray Cyrus, but just with the twang, with kind of the strumming banjo, like, okay, this is where it's going. Um, so yeah, I mean, that one to me is much more of a, of a toss up. I mean, I don't think it's. Not a rap song because even Billy Ray's verses, you know, uh, it's, it's rap. Florida, Georgia line yeah, least, yeah, I mean, it's it's not trying to shy away from the fact that he's not singing. But I, this is a tough one. I mean, it's like I, I guess it could live in both worlds. Obviously, it doesn't have to be country or or hip hop specifically. But that that does complicate it. And I think I think going forward, that's going to be probably a big question to consider. Is how that goes, and then apparently there's a Young Thug remix coming <laughs> maybe later this week as well, they're hinting. So how does that factor into where this song goes? But um, Yeah, and, and, yeah. and in addition to, I mean, I agree with, with everything you were saying about how the, 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 the first voice you hear in the song does kind of help define it a little bit. But also it's just a longer, kind of more fleshed out verse-chorus song this way. Uh, and, I mean, maybe it's, it's just a question of uh, kind of the associations we have with the, the SoundCloud era of – Short songs being more of a hip hop phenomenon, then you don't really hear sub two minute country songs. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, certainly, and definitely not not any that would be impacting the charts in any significant way. So the fact that the Billy Ray Cyrus remix kind of takes it to more of that like three minute range makes it more of a comfortable fit in, in the country genre. I think uh, I, I don't know whether that actually makes it inherently more of a country song, but it, it does kind of you know it checks more of the boxes that way and i would say I, I, one thing that's hitting me is i feel like we had a similar discussion and how it it's now it's evolved to a much deeper discussion just when uh, meant to be by Florida sure. Georgia Line and uh, BB Rexa uh, set the record 50 weeks at number one. A lot of people saying that that's a pop song. That's not country. And that was a number one country airplane. Somebody hit. even wrote in, <laughs> I'm seeing on Twitter or something, that, it, that called it an EDM song even. Yeah. They went that far. They went that far with it. But what I think that points to is I think there's a, a level of uh, country is, is very insular. Obviously, it's it's based in Nashville. All the artists or most of the artists are there. The labels are there. There, there seems to be more uh, protectiveness of the genre in country maybe than mm-hmm. than almost any other genre. So when something uh, – use the word threatens, but really it comes in and changes what the traditional sound is. And this goes back to the 70s too, when, when the outlaw movement, anytime there's something that uh, just sounds really different, it seems like it's really a lightning rod, especially for country. Yeah. And for the record, I, I think that in, in my opinion, anyway, Old Town Road is 10 times more of a country song than meant to be was. And, and that, that's, I mean, it's interesting because obviously it was a very big country airplay hit. So country did sort of, you know, let it in the fences as, a, as it were, but 
and, and we'll see if that happens to Hill Town Road. I think there's a pretty good chance that, that it will. But uh, to, to me, that is a pop song with a country artist on it. Uh, very Kind of pretty clearly, I would say. Like in, in terms of the melody of it, in terms of the structure of it, and definitely in terms of the production. Uh, I would say that that song has... has very little to what I consider to be kind of traditional country standards. I think the only thing about it that, that kind of gives it the ties to the country world is the, the, the sort of the twang of Florida Georgia Line's voice. Uh, but, I mean, when you talk about, uh, about Old Town Road, you are talking about a lot of country signifiers. You are talking about a very kind of pronounced uh, country, you know, affected accent, but an accent nonetheless. And you're, you're talking about that kind of dusty instrumentation, which is, uh, I think, a more – more, more country evocative uh, sound than anything that you actually hear in Meant to Be. So I, I think the people that say, uh, you know, why, why would you consider Meant to Be a country song and not uh, Old Town Road, I think, I think they, they might have a point. And, and that's just as much of a, a question for Nashville as it is for Billboard, but it's, it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, I definitely think, well, it's like when you, well, I was thinking about Gary's point about um, with Meant to Be, because yeah, it's funny how, how even in the past really decade but even four or five years sort of it feels like this narrative has has shifted further and further in terms of i remember i, I remember body like a back road was like mm. the biggest country song you know it, it had the record before meant to be and there were there were you know people giving side eye even to yeah. that record about you know okay it's got because it has like kind of the, the finger snap and the dj mustard a and it it, it borrows from hip-hop um not maybe overtly but you can tell that the taste is there and and is are we gonna really call this a country song? I mean, before that, you know, there was I don't say a big controversy, but there was certainly discussion about Daddy Lessons with Beyonce in that same same way about and it and, and with like Little Nas X that brought up questions of race too about you know of course Beyonce is more established and she'd never really done anything country before, but if she goes in this way, are we you know are we going to allow her to be considered country? The Grammy Committee. Voted no, apparently, against that. Guess the Dixie Chicks and the CMAs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which, but even that CMAs performance ruffled some feathers. People so thinking she's she was stepping, you know, just getting out of her lane a little too much. She's she's queen of hip hop R and B. She's not about to take over our stage as well. Um, and this this kind of goes back even I think to, to Taylor Swift, yeah. who really yeah. blurred the line in the last decade about who who is country, who is pop, what songs are going to be this and what songs are going to be that. Um, but it's funny because I think. Maybe and I would love to hear your guys' perspective on this because you guys probably are much more in touch with the country landscape as, as more than I am. But it, it's interesting to me because when you talk about the insular country artists, it's funny. I think that if you if you sort of stripped away all of the fringe artists, the people who kind of dabble in the pop pond or whatever, it's almost like the country stars who are pure country in a way only appeal to like – there's like a certain demographic they only appeal to. I'm not saying it's necessarily just like white people or older people, but I, I guess I can't think of like, um, I don't know, like a, like there are mainstream country stars, but it feels like they are they're always that they're country stars. They're just not like mainstream like it, stars or like or pop stars or yeah. big acts. Like it's so I wonder. I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but well, it just feels yeah. What's what's happened traditionally is when country stars come up through country if they go pop like faith hill and shania twain there is there's brushback from nashville how dare uh, on some levels uh, you leave us and uh, carrie underwood same kind of thing uh it's there's a real protectiveness uh, again so artists are very cognizant of that so i think a lot of artists decide to stay country because they realize uh this is working i don't want to ruffle anything uh, what's interesting at the same time is uh it's 
it's always looked on as a little a little weird, a little unaccepted when you don't come the usual route. And I'm thinking back to Leanne Rimes mm. back in 1996 with one of the most traditional sounding songs you'll ever hear for country, Blue. Yodeling. Yodeling. Because she was a young, maybe female artist. Maybe there's a part of it with this Patsy Cline sounding song. Uh, even that, it, it got to the top 10 on Hot Country Songs, but disappeared pretty quickly. She has never been uh, an automatic country artist. So uh, maybe if you just don't uh, take the usual route uh, through radio, through the ranks of, of the usual uh, label route, uh, yeah, Nashville just sometimes has uh, some kind of an issue with that. Yeah, I, I, do, I, I agree with all of that. And it's, it's, it, it is interesting to see kind of what gets what gets let in and what doesn't, uh, and and Nashville can definitely be a little bit too exclusionary at sometimes with these things. But I do, I do want to stick up a little bit for for the Brothers Osborne's of the world here, because I, I don't think that their objection is is with uh, Lil Nas X or even Old Town Road as a song. I think it's more about the the discussion around it and the volume of the discussion around it, because I think they're they're sort of what they want to say and what what they are saying to a certain extent is, look, we do country twelve months out of the year. And we, we, we live in this world full time. Who are all these people coming down and saying this is country, this isn't country and kind of weighing on our scene who maybe couldn't name a Brothers Osborne song or, or maybe don't really care about country most of the time? Uh, but everybody really is voicing an opinion here and they're voicing loud opinions about what should happen, what should be considered country, what, what, what should be led in the gates. And whether or not they agree with that, I, I, I sort of understand them saying, like, this isn't even something that you care about most of the time. Why are you all of a sudden acting like this is the biggest deal in the world? Uh, so I, I do sort of get where they're coming from there. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with what they're saying uh, to, to, for the most part. I, I, I do think that the, this that I, I, th- I think that there's room kind of for everybody, uh, and I think that if their problem is with you know, why aren't the gatekeepers letting in these other people as well as Lil Nas X? And like, that's fair, but I, I think it's more of a problem with the gatekeepers than with Lil Nas X or Old Town Road themselves. Uh, but I, I also do understand their kind of frustration, you know, and they said themselves, like, we've been asked this question like a million times tonight. Uh, you know, this this shouldn't be the only thing people are talking about with country music. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of th- people doing interesting things. Why is Lil Nas X suddenly su- sucking up all the oxygen? And I, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I think we'll see uh, what country programmers do with it. That'll kind of drive uh, the discussion uh, for the next little bit. If country radio listeners want to hear this, that'll kind of maybe sway the decision more that, okay, country audiences find this uh, a fit for their genre. So, uh, yeah, it's I, I still – I come back to this. It's a really fun discussion to be having as much <laughs> as uh, Bill Boar's been maybe caught up in this in some ways. Uh, this is uh, really a, a great point of what music does. It gets people uh, talking about it so passionately. Yeah, and I, I just want to say like – because I, I feel like I, I worry sometimes that this will get lost in all the controversy. This is a great song. Like this is a really interesting, yes. fun, innovative, new song yeah. that like that, 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 that is both – really subversive in a lot of ways and also just just really catchy like I, I i find myself like humming two or three different parts of the song every day since it came out yeah uh and i think the billy ray cyrus remix is only expanding on that uh and i and i love that that the song got to number one without the billy ray cyrus remix because now we don't have to have the discussion of oh well you know we only, we only let it in because of the billy ray cyrus verse and then he, he lent it some sort of credibility that it wouldn't have had otherwise no it was a great song before the billy ray cyrus version and it's a great song after it too I feel like I, I think that there are three points I want to throw out that are all <laughs> sort of unrelated. But I mean, I will say back to your point about the whole gatekeepers question. You know, part of this whole controversy is the concept and the, the not belief, but the idea that you know, if black people never get credit for their country music contribu- contributions, and 
virtually invented country music. It's very odd that now we, you know, now we have to go back all these years later and, and sort of appease to these new gatekeepers that that please accept my song as country music. I'm not saying, you know, there is just that part of that sure. argument as well. Um, I think, yeah, working here, I was, I was talking to people early, earlier today and I was, and I kind of maybe alluded to this at the top of the, the segment, however many minutes ago, uh, that, yeah, I can't really remember like more than just the number one on the Hot 100, but really like the last time it felt like there was really only one song in the world. Like, I mean, even if you look at the top 10, you know, there's Seven Rings, there's what, no, but I mean, it's like, <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't even think about any other song except Old Town Road. And I was like, when's the last, because even with Despacito, it felt like I knew there were uh, like other, like it never, like, yes, it was the biggest song of the moment. It was you could get the most important song, but it didn't feel like the only song. I guess maybe like I was thinking Hello by Adele was the last time mm. that it yeah. felt like, like whether it was just what you saw on social media, the parodies, the memes, like it just, I can't remember the last time. Bodak Yellow guess. maybe? I was thinking Bodak was probably the one exception where it really felt like, like like if you're going to put out a song for the next month, just don't. Like it, it will just get sucked into a black hole. There is, we are focused on one thing and one thing only. And, and I think the thing that this has that maybe Despacito and a couple of the other major uh, number ones of recent years haven't is that it, ha- it does have this, this kind of baked in discussion to it. Uh, and that like and then there's there's such a debate element to it that even people that aren't necessarily interested in the song as a song are interested in talking about this song. Like I'm sure you guys have had this experience too, where you're having conversations about this song with people you'd never expect to to know of, you know, who Lil Nas X is yeah. or what Old Town Road is or what charts it is or isn't uh, currently qualifying for. Uh, it, it's it's un, it's unbelievable the amount of reach that this song has had in such a short period of time. Uh, and that's a, that's a testament to the song, and it's a testament to his ability to kind of stoke the conversation himself. I mean, Tre- Trevor, you, you you alluded to his Twitter account earlier. It's a great Twitter account. Like it, it's it's he's doing a great job of kind of keeping the conversation rolling, uh, you know, and 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 just just kind of finding new new ways to sort of refresh it every so often. Uh, you know, posting new videos that kind of that 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 that, that, that go along with it. Or you know, posting kind of new memes that other people are creating that he's kind of helping to, to signal boost. Uh, it feels like every day there's something new to talk about with this song, uh, and it's reaching corners of the universe that that pop music doesn't always necessarily reach, and that's really interesting. I I, I can't remember the last time Billboard was so yeah prominent. I mean, <laughs> like I mean, I just mean. In terms of, yeah, there's like, I mean, GMA segments and all these articles and I saw it like on my Twitter moment, the Twitter moment and, you know, all these people have weighed in about it. Yeah. You're, I mean, if you didn't know we were here, you're, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're still, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you don't know it now, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. 
right. Uh, 1999. So, Andrew, this is a big focus on Billboard.com this week. So uh, it's 1999 week. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we did this last year uh, first with uh, with 1998 uh, in 2018. You know, the 20-year the nostalgia cycle. It's a, it's a real thing. And it's a good – it's a – you know, I, I always sort of say that uh, nostalgia is a little bit overrated, but just remembering good songs is underrated. Uh, so uh, I, I, I like doing – lists like this that, you know, really force you to kind of dig into not just the the, 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 the absolute hugest hits of the period, but, uh, you know, some of the some of the lesser remembered ones, some of the, the ones that maybe if you, if you weren't around at the time, you don't you don't even know necessarily. Uh, but yeah, so we, we, we had a staff vote and uh, we came up with uh, our list of the 99 best songs in 1999. Uh, Sorry, this is going to be ruined next year when they can't say it cleanly. Oh, the, the, hundred of two thousand. Hundred two thousand still right. works. You still got the the double O in there. I think right. that's pretty good. I don't know if we're going to keep going to one hundred and one hundred and two after that, but no, hundreds hundreds a good round number for two thousand. Top two thousand songs two thousand. Could you, hey I, look, I'm I'm down. I don't know. I don't know uh, if we have the, the resources for that one, but uh, including guess we'll, mental capacity, including mental capacity. I guess we'll <laughs> figure that out next year. Uh, but yeah, so, so we, we we had a staff vote and we we came up with our with our list. Uh, and I, I gotta say, I think that, you know. I, when you're doing one of these lists for a year, you know, just, just focusing on the kind of the cream of the crop, every year feels like a pretty special year. But this year, I can't tell you how many people came to me being like, oh, man, like, I can't believe how many great songs there are this year. Uh, this really feels like one of the defining pop years, uh, certainly of my lifetime, probably of the Hot 100 era, I would say. Uh, you know, Gary, you, you, you've you lived through more of these years than I have. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, when you when you look at some of the names and some of the songs, it just like – even you look at it mathematically, like I, I was looking at uh, – you know, there's a service Heel Sonic. Uh, it was one of the primary karaoke services, and they have like a weekly chart of what the most karaoke songs in the country are. And three of the top 15 from last week come from 1999. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, that, that's sort of an objective way to kind of look at this and say, like, man, like these songs endure in, in a way that that not a lot of not, not a lot of years have this many songs like that. Yeah. When I was looking back at uh, some of the biggest hits, what hit me is how many different genres were at such a high point. Obviously, Absolutely. there's so much pop with NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and, and Britney and Christina there, their breakout years. But uh, the, the the punk pop movement with mm-hmm. Blink-182, that uh, felt like that was at such a great point. Uh, a lot of good R&B, melodic R&B, we just don't hear those as mainstream hits anymore from from Angel of Mine, Monica. It just seems like every genre you could hit and, and country, all the, the Faith Hill, Shania Twain mm-hmm. crossover stuff. So, yeah, I think it was it was a good year, not just for pop music, but uh, or maybe because in pop music, because there were so many different sounds. Yeah, and, and not only those those just mega hits by mega artists, but a lot of weird one-offs too. Yeah, stuff like, uh, you know, Lens Steal My Sunshine or uh, – you know the the Baz Luhrmann song "Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen" yeah. or like uh, Eiffel 65's "Blue Daba D." Like just just these these songs that came out of nowhere uh, aren't don't seem to be rooted to any place or, or, or genre or even moment in time, but they they still like they still become like a very big part of the year's DNA just just because like oh man like that couldn't have happened in any other year. It was it was a lot of fun music. Too. Oh yeah, Lou Bega, uh, Mambo Number that's Five. Maybe that speaks sure. to, to pop culture uh, at the time, but a lot of just really happy, upbeat. Silly, uh, silly type songs. Yeah, and, and uh, in, in sort of less happy, uh, you know, sort of feel feel good uh, modes. There, there, there was, uh, you know, the rise of new metal as well, uh, which was sort of a, at least at the time it felt like a reaction to kind of the, the sort of bright sunshine Florida pop that was dominating uh, top forty and TRL and pretty much everywhere in between. Then you had artists like like Corn and Limp Bizkit and Orgy who are all on this list too. And you know, they, 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 if, as a, uh, a 12, 13 year old boy at the time, I wasn't necessarily feeling you know sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows all the time. So it, it was good to have that sort of release valve of you know, 
you know, not necessarily the most constructive of of, of rock music, and in, in terms of you know so social dynamics and and you know being politically correct and all that. But it, at, at the time, it was it was a good release for 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 very uh, suburban and predictable teenage angst. So if only had Billie Eilish back then. Yeah, really. That, that would have been all I've been pretty serious. All right. Should we do uh, what we've done on the podcast before when we uh, uh, have some of these deep discussions? The Fishbowl Podcast. I, uh, definitely. Although I, I do first want to ask you guys, what, what, do you, what do you think of the number one? Uh, I guess, I guess for, for the folks listening at home, that's uh, a very tight race for the number one spot, but uh, ultimately uh, awarded to Britney Spears for Baby One More Time. Uh, and I should say that the song was technically released in 1998, but uh, we made allowances on this list that uh, that songs were eligible for this list if they either debuted on the Hot 100 uh, within the 1999 calendar year or hit number one for the first time on the Hot 100 within the 1999 calendar year. And obviously, uh, Baby One More Time was in 1999 number one, so that was eligible and uh, awarded by our staff the number one pick over a couple other really heavy hitters and uh, TLC's No Scrubs and Backstreet Boys' I Want It That Way. So. I'd say of those three songs, would you would you have gone with this? And if not, is there another one maybe lower down the ballot that you would have, that you would have opted for instead? Personally, I'd take uh, number eighty-seven, Amy Mann. Save well, me, uh, shockingly, my, Gary. That did not, that was not Ooh, as much child. of a consensus favorite. Uh, uh, did, did not quite have the reach of a, of a baby one more time, but uh, I'm sure it kills a, a, your karaoke nights. Uh, I'm, I'm happy it's on there. No, I think uh, I, you have. Uh, I want it that way at number three. I think that might be the most perfect pop song on this list and, and really just one of the most perfectly crafted pop radio hits ever. But in terms of uh, the way Britney just came in, it changed pop culture and it being her debut hit uh, and and how I think uh, she's probably influenced a whole generation since. It's a, it's a pretty solid number one. Um, I do agree that, you know, how nice to sort of look back and I don't think anybody unless you were really, really, really ahead of the curve, understood what Britney Spears would come to represent in in the pop music landscape. Um, and I mean, and when you look at so many people who you can say followed in her footsteps or either were her contemporaries, I mean, she always kind of has been the queen of that of that movement. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, like that makes sense, I guess, in, in a... I, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Britney is this, Spears. Is this all a wind-up to you saying that you don't like Baby One More Time? Trip? No, I do. Well, I was going to say, I do like Britney Spears. I, I, it's, it's, it's like almost like Britney Spears herself eclipses more than just Baby One More Time. I would not have put that song as my, you know, if it's just what's supposed to be, I guess, the best song of 1999. Mm-hmm. Well, the greatest uh, song, I think, is the official uh, Greatest title song. So, to me, at least, that combines both. Best and most important. Okay, if we're gonna go with greatest, then okay, I can I can give that. If we're going best, I myself would have picked the song that I put at top my ballot, which was uh, Lauren Hill's X Factor. Mm, it was also my number one for the record. Pulls, um, I mean, just pulls of the heartstrings. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about well crafted, I mean, it's not a pop song in terms of let's make this a hit, but just a song that I I don't know. You can just put that on at any point in time, and it just endures. Not only, I'm sure, of course, Drake gave it a nice revival last year with Nice For What. So if you didn't know it, now you know it. But just the original stuff, just a beautiful composition, really. You know, I, I, I totally agree. I, I was thinking the other day about whether or not that's the best soul song released in my lifetime. I think if it, if it isn't, it's it's certainly in the discussion. Uh, X Factor, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect heartbreak ballad. It's it's, it's certainly one of, one of my favorite songs of all time. It was, it was, it was my personal uh, choice for number one, but... I don't think necessarily has the the cultural weight to be number one on a list like this. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if for no other reason than because you know it was it was, a, it was the second single off the album. The album was released in 1998. It wasn't. It didn't quite have the same sort of pop impact that uh, that Duop did certainly the year before, which was which was even even higher on our list than than the next factors on this year this year's list uh, for 1998. Uh, 
and it also just didn't didn't I don't know maybe one more time like you, you can see the entire future of pop music just kind of stemming directly from that song. Uh, you ain't got to defend it to me. All right, I'm just saying, and, and <laughs> but but also I do think that Baby One More Time is 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 a great pop song, and it's it's, it's a it's a song that I, I I do have a lot of personal affection for. That that maybe even kind of more than I did back in back in 1989. Is I kind of I come to sort of appreciate the science behind it in a, in a way that I did I wasn't really sort of able to grasp when I was 12 or 13 years old, uh, but. Certainly, you'll hear no no protest from me about X Factor being the best song from this year. I think I think that's that's a, a very strong argument. All right, let's uh, get into the fishbowl, which uh, people can't see this. Our fishbowl is actually uh, an upside down Boston Red Sox cap. Yeah, Gary always got to represent when given so the opportunity. So it's cursed, as you yeah, already know. <laughs> not, not after uh, not after nineteen ninety nine. Uh, up through 1999, maybe. But so what we'll do is we'll just uh, reach in, pick out topics, and uh, see what we come up with. Uh, what's your favorite 1999 hit by a former boy band member? So there's there's a bunch of, uh, in contention here. Uh, we actually have an article about this that's either running later today or early tomorrow. But uh, it's a big year for former boy band members. Uh, it was a huge year for contemporary boy band members. But also it was the year that uh, that Jordan Knight had uh, his his solo breakthrough with Give It To You. Uh, and also Joey McIntyre, his new Kids in the Block bandmate with, uh, with Stay The Same. Uh, Robbie Williams would take that. Finally, had his U.S. Uh, moment, which was some sort of brief and short-lived, but uh, encompassed uh, Angels and Millennium, uh, two, two pretty good songs, and uh, certainly the most popular bunch. Uh, Ricky Martin, uh, formerly of Menudo, uh, yeah. had uh, had both uh, "Living La Vida Loca," certainly one of the biggest hits of that year, and uh, "She's All I Ever Had," which probably doesn't get remembered as well, but it was the number two hit at the time. So, uh, so you got you got your pick of those, Gary. Which, which are you going for? Yeah, well, I, as much as I was just talking Boston, I I really want to vote for Joey McIntyre. Stay the same. I thought that's a, a very Gary pick. Great, great, great ballad. But uh, I guess if I'm being uh, true to, to what I thought at the time, and and it is such a great song. Uh, yeah, Ricky Martin, uh, "Living La Vida Loca," but I'd also. Uh, uh, maybe Justice Four for both of these two songs. Uh, She's all I ever had. That's a great one. Number two hit, co-written by John Sakata, by the way. Nineties, uh, uh, sure. big big hit maker in the nineties. Also, uh, the album cut on the Ricky Martin uh, album with Madonna, "Be Careful," which was never a single. And I know we've talked about this before in the podcast. How uh, Madonna had a duet with Prince, "Unlike a Prayer," that was <laughs> never a single. She, uh, two of the biggest artists at the time, nineteen ninety nine. Justice for Madonna. Yeah, yeah, Ricky Martin, one of the biggest artists of nineteen ninety nine. Duet with Madonna, also not oh, a single. Spoiler alert: but we do we do have a, uh, a deep cuts, an accompanying deep cuts list of nineteen ninety nine that's coming later in the week to complement the uh, the singles list that we have uh, with the kind of the overall bit top ninety nine. And uh, be careful by Ricky Martin and Madonna may or may not play a play a part in that one. Yeah. Uh, Trevor. Um, oh gosh. Um, I gotta give some love to the Jordan Knight song ah. for sure. Um, which I only found out recently as the internet kind of found out recently, uh, co-written by Robin Thicke. 21 year old Robin Thicke. Yes. A very, very young Robin Thicke. Um, also, a, a, I mean, I'll have a soft spot in my heart for any Jam Lewis collaboration. Um, I had a phase for a little bit, maybe a couple years ago where I was back in living La Vida Loca, I will say. Um, it's funny cause it's not a great vocal performance <laughs> like for some reason i guess it's i guess back when you were a kid you know it, it felt like anybody who was on a record was the best you know you've got of course and I, I hear back i'm like okay like this is more this was an easier song i guess than than i thought it was but of course i mean it's just it's the personality that sells that record like you know 10 times over um and i, I feel like you can't not like that song and even though it is kind of lame but even some of the lyrics about like the uh like what's the what's Your the skin's the color mocha? Yes, yes. <laughs> like I feel like mocha is one of the like I saw. I, probably, I think it was like where I first learned the word mocha. I was like, it's a very forced wow. rhyme. What rhymes with mocha? A lot, <laughs> yeah. a lot of choices. But even even yeah. that, like that, that's one of those those things that you cringe at at the time, and twenty years later, you're just like ah, Ricky Martin. Yeah, you scamp. 
Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll also uh, vouch for, for Give It To You, and I'll also shout out uh, Robbie Williams' Millennium, which is a fun song, samples uh, Nancy Sinatra's You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Not, 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 a, not a classic, maybe, but a, but a, fun, a fun song at the time. All right. How about this one? 1999 Comeback Player of the Year, mm. non-Santana, non-share division. Oh. Ooh, Ooh. Ooh. Santana, believe. All right, well, I'll, I'll say one off the bat. So this, this this might step on another one of my answers later, but uh, the one that I find the most fascinating many years later is a Pearl Jam's Last Kiss. So it, it, a comeback is maybe a strong – they had released the Yield album the year before, which is a pretty big album in the rock sphere. Didn't really have a major crossover appeal. Didn't really have uh, much in the way of uh, Top 40 hits or MTV hits. And their album before that, uh, No Code, was, was sort of the album that kind of ended Pearl Jam's career as superstar. So when you, when you were looking at them in 1999 – you you were you were thinking of them as pretty much like a, a genre band. This they're they're an alt rock band. They have a big core audience. Their days is like one of the, the the most important bands out there. Probably over the days of of them being played all the time on MTV or on Top Forty Radio, definitely over. And then here they come with this fan club single, and not even the A side of the fan club single. The B side of the fan club single is a cover version of I don't remember the original artist, but the artist that had the, the famous version of it was Jay Franklin Wilson, the Cavaliers. So, uh, a 60s death ballad called Last Kiss. And it's a live version of the song. Uh, it's got kind of this raw Eddie Vedder vocal performance. Uh, and it's it's this very slow 60s style ballad. And for some reason that I will never be able to totally understand, radio just can't get enough of this song. Well, I was in radio at the time. It's so catchy. It's just a catchy pop song. It is, but it's not a catchy pop song the same way that I want it. That way is. It's not a catchy pop song the way that No Scrubs is. It's a catchy pop song the way that J. Franklin Wilson and the Cavaliers and their ilk were 35 years earlier. So what, 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 what was it about this song that just made it so undeniable? Well, we played it because people liked it. So. <laughs> okay, well, give the people what yeah. they want, Gary. I it suppose just, that's fair enough. It, it's, I, I think it was probably part of it, I guess, looking back, is uh, you wouldn't expect a song that's – what's weird is the song is so happy musically and so sad uh, lyrically. So it's this weird uh, mix. But overall, I guess when I think of that song, I, I sort of think of, of just the, the happy beat about it. And I think maybe people didn't think of it that deeply. They're just like, catchy song? I know that voice, yeah. Eddie Vedder. Sure. I, I, I guess that's fair enough. And 12-year-old me probably didn't look at it, at it as askance as I do as, as a 30-something. But uh, you know, it went to number two on the Hot 100. And, and that's higher than Jeremy. That's higher than Alive, Even Flow, Better Man. All these songs which were like the biggest alt-rock hits of my entire life. And this this fluke B-side live cover is, is their defining legacy on the Billboard Hot 100. It's, it's crazy to me. Yeah, it's funny. If, if you look at Nirvana and Pearl Jam together because they're so often linked, uh, Nirvana's biggest hit on the Hot 100 is Smells Like Teen Spirit. Totally fitting, sure. most people would say. For Pearl Jam, it's last kiss. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, two equally important and pivotally cultural songs. Absolutely. So, what about what about you, Gary? Well, while Trevor's still a search in here, what's what's your what's your pick for this? Yeah. Well, I'll I'll I guess I'll go with two. But my main one, and uh, maybe not so much again a comeback, but his biggest adult contemporary hit, Phil Collins with "You'll Be in okay. My Heart" sure. uh, that's from Tarzan. Yeah. Good answer. Uh, and uh, also in this. Uh, Really shows, uh, really tells you 1999. Uh, Gloria Stefan had her biggest hit in a long time. Music of my heart, it's a, it's a good ballad. Do you, do you think NSYNC even remember that they were on that song? <laughs> it, it got her name to number two on the 100, which made me God happy. bless her for it. Uh, and, and what I know, I keep mentioning Amy Band, but uh, Save Me from the sure. same year was uh, up for the Oscar. And, and Phil Collins won. And afterwards, uh, I saw, I've seen her in concert so many times. She would always uh, refer to You'll Be In My Heart as... 
that monkey love song <laughs> that I lost to. Uh, and I, I got to say, I, I've never been a fan of You'll, You'll Be In My Heart, but I, I do like uh, Son of Man. Off Yo, the, Son of Man yeah, is yeah. – yeah, that's 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 the one. That's the, that's the, that's the one. That's absolutely correct. Two worlds uh, is great too. Yeah, uh, a lot of every song on that on that album is better than "You'll Be in My Heart." I have no idea why that was a single, but uh, it certainly struck a nerve. Uh, people younger than me tend to love it. People my age actually love it too. I, I, it must just be me. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on "Save Me." That's, that's one of my favorite songs from this year. Uh, Should have won. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, I guess in the spirit of picking one of our own. Oh God, I probably shouldn't have said that because now the stands are going to come for me. Um, all right, both got their first solo number one in 1999. Are you Team Brandy or Team Monica? Mm. Gary, you, you want to answer first or should I? Now, then, forever. Well, I already mentioned Angel of Mine, so I don't know if I'm Team either person, but I guess Team songs of that year. I always thought, oh, uh, uh, no, no. That's, all, that's as far as I'm going. Not uh, Team songs. I'm, I'm on Team Angel of Mine. Yeah, I think 499. Uh, actually, both both of these artists released one of my favorite songs of theirs this year. Uh, but Monica's was the bigger hit. Uh, Angel, Angel of Mine is, is, I think, one of the most underrated love songs of the last 20 years. Uh, like, like a really, I, I wrote about it for the list, but it's got this really like Smokey Robinson quality to the lyrics, where like it kind of expresses a lot in very very simple phrasing and uh, beautiful chorus, uh, fun video. Uh, and almost don't, almost doesn't count by Brandy uh, is, is is kind of one of her most underrated songs. It wasn't as big a hit on the Hot 100 as like in the low teens or 20s maybe, but it's just a really kind of good defeated uh, heartbreak song. Uh, I didn't like Have You Ever, like the, the big Brandy hit from this year. It's a very melodramatic song. It doesn't really stick with you the way that her other songs do, I don't think. Uh, on the whole, Brandy versus Monica, I'd say Brandy probably has more songs that I like on the whole, but she also just had, I think, maybe a little bit longer career, a little bit more pronounced the presence at the time. So she, I think she's got the overall numbers, but for 99, I give it to Monica. I'm actually going to – I'm going to make a call. I'm going to say Monica because I just remembered she did a cover of Richard Marx's Right Here Waiting. <laughs> she did. That she did. Well, what about you, Trevor? Now you, you got you to – Ooh, that's tough. You got to proclaim your allegiances here. I know. I feel like I almost need to go Team Brandy, but, um, but I will say between. I, I guess if I have to stack up the albums that they were associated with this year, which was uh, Never Say Never for Brandy, Boy Is Mine, which um, Monica playing off that marketing. I will say I think Boy Is Mine. Boy Is Mine is probably a better album. I think in particular, if you haven't heard the the cut Misty Blue, that she it's a cover. Um, of an old soul classic. Uh, I mean, Monica also, and Brandy was obviously very young too, but I, I keep forgetting, both both of these women, not even, you know, 20, they're mm-hmm. still 17, 18 when they're doing Boy Is Mine, when they're doing all these hit songs. So I, I know it's, at least for me, I guess, since I was a kid, it felt like they had to be in their 20s, you know, they're adults, adults. And I think they were just at, barely out of high school. I mean, I think that is so, so crazy. Um, so yeah, for this this moment, I got to give it to Team Monica. I do, yeah. First album, I probably would go Brandy if if I compare their debuts, but but yeah. At this point, Monica, uh, I'll say. I think we we all know what sizes of paper we yeah, yeah. The, the, the girl picking around. That's where we point. fucked up. Uh, I'm, I'm glad this one came up though. Yeah, on a scale of ten to ten, how great are the South Park? Bigger, longer, and uncut socks. Lame Canada. What would Brian Boitano do? I guess that could work. We have to try. What would Brian Boitano do if he was here right now? He'd make a plan and he'd follow through. That's what Brian Boitano do. When Brian Boitano was in the Olympic skating for the gold. What would Brian Boitano do is just the best song. It's a great song. It's a, yeah, it's a bop. It's a real bop. I mean, Madden Trey, I think, just, just, just to even execute that concept is so... It's just so impressive. And, and yeah, I mean, it's funny because I know people... 
I remember at the time, of course, there was no way I could watch that. I was like eight when it came <laughs> out, so you know, we all we all heard about it, but we never saw it. But uh, yeah, just just it's always funny to me how, and maybe it's less surprising now with Book of Mormon being such a success too. Is people forget how talented those yeah. two guys are, just in terms of yes, they can do outlandish things, and yes, they can have weird senses of humor. Sometimes they're of course offend many people, but. They un- like just like any good comedian, they understand all the elements that make any any type of show work. And for them to write this musical with, like you said, actually good songs, yeah. like well crafted, not just some Michael McDonald on the soundtrack too, real real legitimate. Artists. Yeah, like I think that that's just a huge a huge milestone for them. I'm very interested to see what Andrew has to say about this because I think he probably <laughs> oh boy. knows this. So okay, so 1999, we have um, maybe we should pause to remember really. Uh, on a really, really, really serious note, l- let's not forget the Columbine High School Massacre happened in 1999. And, you know, a lot of people at the time were pointing the scene, the, the fifth finger at the goth scene, at Marilyn Manson, and a lot of, you know, rock music in, in, in general in a lot of ways, anything hard. Do you think in the 20 years since that that scene has recovered to any level of of prominence close to what it was or do you think it's in some ways you know because these events haven't stopped happening sort of permanently suppressed in a way that it will never quite get back to what it once was yeah i mean this, i think this is one of the most interesting things to talk about in 1999 we, we actually have something coming this week that's sort of along these lines uh i say from freelancer but the interesting thing about the way that rock music was sort of blamed for the columbine attacks is that i mean i i don't think I don't think the kids took it that seriously. I, I don't. I don't think that the people that would have been buying these albums anyway suddenly stopped because they were like, "Oh, I don't want. I don't want to support this music because you know it causes violence." I mean, that, that's never the way kids have reacted to anything about popular culture uh, in the last you know since Elvis, basically. Uh, so I don't think that was the case, and I don't. I don't even know if the parental outcry that surrounded it had much of an impact on rock music. But this does end up being basically the last year that rock music is the music you listen to to piss off your parents. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think Columbine's a part of it, maybe. Uh, I also think that Woodstock 99 uh, and kind of the fallout from that where you have, uh, you know, Fred Durst not necessarily inciting violence from the stage, but basically telling people to be pissed off and don't don't listen to what Alanis Morissette says, listen to what we say. And then you have the Red Hot Chili Peppers covering Jimi Hendrix's fire and people are literally setting fires in the audience. And you have, if you ever read the reporting from that period, it, it's, it's, it's Sodom and Gomorrah out there. It's, it's, it's. It's rapes. It's 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 uh, drug overdoses. It's it's it sounds basically like hell on earth, hell on earth, uh, and kind of the the hard rock of the period. Which, and hard rock was kind of having a moment that year. Does sort of not, not only does it get blamed for it, but it kind of gets stained by it. And then the other thing that happens that year is Eminem comes out, uh, and suddenly Eminem is the most uh, you know vile music on the planet. And it's the music that kids listen to, and their parents go, "Oh well." I didn't let you buy that CD and then, you know, they hide it in their, their bedroom drawer or whatever. And suddenly he becomes the paragon of, you know, a rebellious teenage suburbia and he's a rapper. And he says, I don't want to be associated with rock music. He, he says, I'm a rapper and, and stop trying to get me to, 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 to sing rock music and, and stop trying to put me in that box because that's not what I am. I'm hip hop. And then from the 20 years after that, hip hop is the kind of the, the voice of, of young America. And it already sort of was up to that point, but they'd never had a figure like Eminem. I mean, it should be said a white figure who certainly appeals to some of the same audiences that Limp Bizkit and Korn would have a year before. Uh, and and he becomes the biggest thing on the planet going into the 21st century. And he he only gets kind of more volatile and, and becomes more of a lightning rod from there. Uh, and then you, you, know, you flash forward to 20 years from now, to, sorry, to 20 years later to, to where we are now. 
and uh, the, the most rebellious music, the most kind of besieged music from the, the parental advisory cl- uh, crowd are, you know, people like XXXTentacion and, and 6 9 and uh, – uh, even Juice World, to a certain extent, are, are, are the are the people that you listen to to while, while you're sulking in your bedroom and while you're trying to you know pretend like nobody understands you and the only person in the universe that has these problems. That's the kind of music you listen to. It's not rock music. You're not listening to, to Twenty One Pilots or Imagine Dragons thinking about that. So, and I do think it all kind of stems from 1999, where where rock music kind of has its last grand stand as the as as the music of of young rebellious America, and then Eminem takes over, and then it's rap from then on out. This is more for sort of a lesson for me because, like I said, I'm not. I mean, I'm surprised. I'm not. That's not my scene personally. Um, I think that's an interesting, an interesting point. And, and I, I, especially with with the point about Eminem, I was think that I didn't think about that until you brought it up. I I knew hip hop was going to be part of the equation when you're talking about when it became. Mm-hmm. What, and, and it might have happened without Eminem over. anyway. Yeah. I mean, DMX did a lot of the same things too. Yeah, uh, but 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 in a weird way, I mean, I I, I don't know. There's something. Something's always kind of funny to me about how people appeal up and down and for DMX it's like yes DMX did the same kind of things but for me I always felt like DMX appealed to adults in a way like like 20 mm-hmm. year olds were buying DMX 25 year old like like not necessarily my parents age but like somebody older like I, I mean kids listen to DMX but for some reason I guess maybe just the people I was around were six seven eight years older than I was Eminem definitely was like a guy who who trended younger for for whatever you know with whatever reason people grabbed onto him so you know i hate to sort of give him that much that much attention as like the lightning rod but but i mean you're right i mean it's certainly and yes the fact that he's a white guy and you know looks a certain way and i know a lot of you know i mean even it's funny because i know a lot of like suburban girls who thought he was so hot and that's what got them into his music and and whatever it was about him that that made everybody come around um yeah, I mean, he definitely became certainly the most popular rapper on the planet, certainly the most despised rapper on the planet. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, I feel like even in all of, basically like in all of black music, rap, soul, whatever, the mother is like a sacred, like you know, like <laughs> sacred figure, you know, like, I mean, every, even, even you know, even Pac, even B, everybody, Jay, everybody that loved their mama, they went through the hardest things with, you know, their mother was all the way for them. This is a dude talking about killing his mother, shoving her in, you know, in a trunk, in a ditch. I hate you, you bitch. You, whoa, <laughs> like, like. So maybe that something about even in that element made it made it crazy. But um, I, I think it's a good point that that interestingly turned the century for rock music. And I forgot about Woodstock '99. I mean, that certainly gave it a terrible media perception. Um, but all that to say, yeah, I think that's a great answer. I didn't, I didn't expect that honestly, like to be that. Oh, so this is something I've thought out. This is something but, I've been thinking about a lot recently, anyway. Uh, and the other thing with Eminem is that he he actively courted it. Like he he's saying on his singles, like "Don't you want to grow up to be just like me?" You know, he's he he's 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 basically like uh, he's basically serving as kind of the, the Pied Piper for all the shitty twelve year olds out there and saying like, "Hey, like come on, listen to my music, fuck shit up, yell at your parents, like be a bad kid." Well, and, and that's I, the scariest thing imaginable to a to, to suburban America. Well, also, I mean, also, I think even. Even more than sort of enticing, I, I think he does entice people for sure. But I remember that uh, I guess it's at, what is it in the end of the real Slim Shady when he's like talking about you know um, there's a million out there who who dress like me yeah. like like he already knows that like he is he is just what's already out there like he doesn't even need to necessarily try to get people to his cause because he just knows that he's there's a guy back there flipping onion rings who 
you, you don't even think about or, you know, you think that he's just a nice, normal guy. And no, he doesn't give a fuck. Just like me. Like, like this, this is who these this is who Americans are. Like, maybe it took people until the 2016 election or whatever to figure that out. But like this is these are, you know, Americans are not always necessarily, um, you know, these 1950s yeah. paragons that we all want to pretend like we are. The silent majority of just just fucked up kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. On that note, <laughs> I think it's your turn, Gary. Let's do one more because uh, this is this is all all fun stuff. But let's uh, I'm going to pick one that isn't my own. Okay, I feel like we've all been been doing that. Although I think I just did. No, I didn't. This is uh, one of Andrews. I think. What badly dated 1999 trend would you like to see make a comeback? Badly dated 1999 trend. All right. So you wrote this one, Andrew. It seems sure. like you have a lot of thoughts on this one. Well, I don't have a lot of thoughts on this one, but. Uh... One thing that I do find myself oddly nostalgic for is kind of like extraneous scratching on pop pop records, stuff like on like on LFO Summer Girls or uh, I, I think I think maybe even like like Bewitched Say La Vie maybe has a little scratching on it, like just just records that shouldn't have scratching that have really nothing to do with 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 uh, with hip hop or like you know the Bronx or like you know DJ battles, sound systems, all that stuff. Like there's no reason for there to be scratching on those songs, but it it had just become such an immersive part of of pop music at the time and of pop culture and. It, it kind of just it was like a very easy way to kind of lend yourself some some very light modern cred and be like, oh, well, we're not your your your, your parents' you know, pop music, not your parents' boy band or you know the pop stars or whatever. Uh, and then to kind of show that you were down with hip hop, which was already starting to start to take over as as the coolest music out there. Uh, so you just throw some scratching on there. Uh, Sugar Ray certainly had. I mean, they they made a career out of out of like pop songs that had very light DJ elements. Uh, uh, that was fun. I don't know. I mean, like it certainly like hit a a, a peak of uh, of uh, you know mass consumption or whatever that uh, that meant that it had to go away for a while. And it certainly has. Like if, I think if you heard scratching on a record now, you would be like, oh, they're they're trying to be like 1999, or they're trying to be like the 90s, or or maybe maybe if they did it really well, they would say that they were trying to be like early hip hop. But I think it's, I think we're ready for you know a little bit of a comeback. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a it's a part of. Of both pop music and of hip hop, that that's that's sort of you know, lacking these days in sort of the, the live turntablism and elements like that. No, it'd be fun to get a little bit of a little little taste of that again, maybe. I guess I'll go with. Uh, there were a lot of country remakes of pop hits, sort of in the mid to late nineties. Kind of oh, like, like with, I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, well, like that, all, yeah. all for one and John Michael Montgomery trading off. But in nineteen ninety nine, we had. Uh, and I, I like both of these covers. Mark Chestnut's cover of Aerosmith's mm-hmm. I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, number one country hit. Uh, also, uh, in, I guess I like my InSync collaborations from 99, Gloria Stefan. But also uh, InSync in Alabama remade uh, God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You. So I just always thought it was a great way for the country to take advantage of a big – it just kind of goes back to the whole uh, discussion. Wow. Take advantage. To be yeah. able to play a, a song that's getting so, so much. Uh, Open up uh, those fences, uh, country music. Uh, 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 attention. But uh, yeah, I just uh, – what, what hit me too is uh, there, there's a couple versions bubbling under the country airplay chart right now of Shallow. Uh, Danielle, oh. Danielle Bradbury uh, does one of them, Abby Anderson, uh, the other playing the, the Lady Gaga or the, the Alley uh, role. Uh, I did not know that. What's kind of funny is I, I feel like country really could just play the original version. Uh, it, the instrumentation is country enough in its own version, but again, if it's uh, more promoted through the typical Nashville channels, you have probably more of a chance to get on country radio. So, yeah, just I, I, I'm not going to say it was badly dated because I always thought it was kind of a fun way for country to get it on the conversation a little bit more. I think, um, and also, I, I'll say, I, I do miss, I do miss singing. I do miss singing in a lot of ways because I think it, 
mm, I'm not saying it was the last year we had like real singers hitting the charts, but there were some. There's some records out there. Like I was even just looking through this list. Some of those falsettos, fortunate, so anxious, too good people today. I don't. I mean, who who has a good falsetto today? That's just something that. Not that, the same thing. I mean, I guess you could say Robin Thicke has too, but who knows? Um, nobody's supposed to be here. Even that those those big gospely ballads that Andrew I think likes when they were turning into dance dance I like, mixes. I like the original versions too to get them uh, some pop radio play. But but I do miss that. I don't know. It's one of the last times I feel like, for sure, one of the last years before all the technology caught up with people, um, and that maybe the rise of the teen pop movement is is partially to blame. That 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 old the old guard of of, of '90s R and B really a lot of them did not make it into 2000. They really got cut off at the '90s. Yeah, and, I mean, um, this is the last big year for for Whitney certainly. Uh, with the uh, it's not right, but it's okay. And my love is your love. And she, I don't think she ever really has pop hits on that level again. And it's also the last big year for Celine Dion. Uh, she she has a yes. that's the way it is, and which was kind of carries over into two thousand as a hit. But uh, that's her that's her last visit to the top ten too. So yeah, those those are two of the probably the, two of the ultimate powerhouse singers of that period. And then you don't really hear from them so much after that. Yeah, and I mean, obviously Mariah came back, but she she kind of hit that wall yeah. and, and in the same way too. And yeah, yeah, you get the new guard with Beyonce and a few others, but but. I think the focus becomes, yeah, certainly a lot more on visual, way more than it does uh, does on voice. And we should say uh, also one of the biggest songs this year that we I don't think we've mentioned yet on this podcast, uh, Shares Believe, which uh, introduces a new element into the mix. Ah, music, well, uh, that's a good point. An auto-tune and, and certainly, you know, some sanding down some of those rough edges, it, uh, it takes a lot of the mystery out of the kind of the big, big powerhouse pop vocal. And it gave a lot of y'all careers. <laughs> yeah, <it's> certainly <laughs> true, too. Uh, and shout out to Kid Rock as well for only God knows why and his part in that movement. But uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a different. It was about to be a different time in pop music, and uh, and nineteen ninety nine has a lot to do with the pivot there. All right, from uh, Mariah at the beginning of the podcast to Mariah nineteen ninety nine. Oh, we are not. We are positioning this as a Mariah Carey pop of all the things. It, it always comes back to Mariah. Some somehow, some way. All right, uh, Andrew. Thank you for coming on the podcast. We'll give you uh, last choice. What song? From 1999, do you want to go on? We talked about it as both uh, Trevor and my number one of the year, so let's let's, let's hear some X Factor. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.